0: Welcome to The Spoken Nerd, the podcast for database professionals. I'm your host, Connor McDonald, and in this episode, we keep chatting to our long-time Oracle employee, Dom Giles, about all things related to Oracle. We'll have a chat about the recently finished Cloud World conference held in Las Vegas as opposed to San Francisco, and also the role of DBAs, whether that role is going to change as cloud takes over the world. And we'll touch on... Everyone's favorite technology de jour at the moment, microservices. Please enjoy this session with Dom Giles. You mentioned there's a lot of DBAs out there and they're looking after large numbers of databases. I'm going to segue on to cloud world because one of the things I noticed at cloud world I thought was very interesting was when you looked at the various sessions throughout the whole conference, both at Caesars Forum and at the Venetian where the venue was. One of the things I found very interesting was the sessions that were very DBA focused, had huge numbers. And I wanted to get your thoughts on this because yeah, in almost whether they were upgrade ones, patching ones, AWR, performance tuning, et cetera, all of these ones had pretty much people out the door, couldn't get into these sessions. And I found it very interesting because there's been that sort of talk that the DBA role is diminishing, there's very less DBAs in the world, they're not going to be needed anymore, you're not going to see them at conferences, et cetera. Yet the DBA role seems to be alive and well. I, I won't jump on my high horse and say this is something I've claimed all along because I always thought the DBA role was going to get busier, not less busy when it came to cloud and stuff. But um, did that surprise you at all? Or? I'll
1: be honest, I wasn't surprised at all. I, I think DBAs, there's always going to be the same number of DBAs. They're just going to be asked to do more. It's always been my view of the world. And so the fact that they're actually attending sessions to try and figure out how they can make their life simpler makes no, is no surprise to me. It would be incredibly popular. And and, and it's true for any database, whether you're looking at cloud databases, whether you're looking at on-premise databases, whether you're looking at monolithic or microservice driven databases, someone always has to be responsible for that stack. There is always the patching requirement. There's always the backup requirement. There's always someone who understands how a database, whatever type of database it is, works. And so, more databases and i think you know if you your career is in database administration you're starting off all power to you because i think you'll have a long and a successful career it's you just it, you can't avoid it and and I, I mean i'd love to think that oracle could you know solve all the autonomous problems in the world and make all the administrative requirements disappear it still wouldn't change the number of dbas that are required to actually look after and i i know i'm Counter, contradicting some of you know our promises when it comes to this technology stack. But it's just that they can do more. You know They can add more value to the overall process of administrating data. That They become more important, not less important inside of an organisation.
0: I agree 100%. And so what happens is what they do might change, but you know, they'll still be needed. And, and I'm glad you said that because especially when I go to various conferences in India... And we have Q&A, one of the most common questions for people because very, very strong DBA community there in India is they'll say, what's happening to the DBA job? What's happening to the DBA role? And I often used to get kickback. And I say, the more databases you move onto cloud, I said, the more DBAs you're going to need. And they'd say, what do you mean? That's not what you tell us. And I say, no, what's going to happen is at the moment, you might have to look after 10 databases. And the reason you look after 10 on-premises is because it takes time to get another one. It takes storage. It takes money. I said, the moment you go to a cloud system where all of the 30 developers in your org can get their credit card out, click a button and get a database, rest assured they're going to come to you and go, oh, I've screwed this up. Oh, I need to you know, get some source code control or whatever, some security. All that means is you're going to be so, you're going to be busier than ever. So, the the concept of DBA role disappearing is just, you know, it's a fiction. What happens is rather than looking after 10 databases, one DBA will look after a thousand. The name
1: DBA encompasses such a broad gamut of uh, capabilities and skills. You know, it is a catch all for nearly every data related problem. You know, I I think when I first started, it very much meant they were an administrator, you know, they basically managed the table spaces, they did the backup, they made sure the users are added. But now it becomes almost a security expert, it becomes a performance expert, it becomes a data transformation expert, it becomes all of the skills that are critical to the lifeblood of any data administration. Rather than database administration type role.
0: So, DBA numbers were big at Cloud World, which is always pleased to see. Talking about Cloud World, obviously, I- I've never been to Vegas, and this was the first, I think, Open World we've ever had in Vegas. There's, there's been other Oracle events, Collaborate, and other things like yeah. at Vegas in the past, but I think this is probably the first Oracle Open World, or Cloud World as we now call it, at
1: Vegas. First one that's actually happened, yeah. I mean, they were scheduled for 2020, I believe. In of course, yeah. Absolutely.
0: Now, last time, we were together at a Oracle Open World slash Cloud World event. Was in San Francisco, and you and I shared yeah, you and I shared some uh, oven fried Brussels sprouts. It's uh, something that you got me onto. There was a a distinct lack of Brussels sprouts in Vegas. But putting that aside, what what are your thoughts on the switch to Vegas? Is did you prefer it over San
1: Francisco? Or do you know it's it's tricky? I'm, San Francisco has so many uh, you know positives. And a lot of negatives. It was very, very expensive uh, in the end to get a hotel room. You know, customers, some customers are pay upwards of £700 a night for a hotel room. And I think once you reach that level, it becomes difficult to justify the costs for some customers. And so I, I think you need to break that, that circle. And so uh, Las Vegas certainly made it Oddly enough, and I, I know it sounds strange, but certainly will make it more accessible to some some organisations to actually attend. It certainly was a lot cheaper for me to attend there. I mean, I, I looked at the hotel bills and the costs of dining out was significantly lower than it was in San Francisco. And that's not because of the Brussels sprout chips. <laughs> like it, it, it was generally... So there were some positives from that perspective. Las Vegas is a interesting place. I
0: have to admit, I'd never been to Vegas before. And so it was that it was certainly an, an eye and i have to admit and for any locals to las vegas i apologize i i kept toggling between the words fascinating and grotesque and perhaps a <laughs> a blend of the two yeah
1: I, I, in equal measures i mean i think it really depends on your you know and I, I i try my very best to keep away from that whole discussion always i mean i've been there over the years you know for the last 30 years or so i've uh, had the opportunity and I'll use the word opportunity to actually attend Las Vegas you know on a, about a five-year rolling basis and clearly now it's going to become more and more frequent but it you know I'd like to say it's changed but I felt arriving there it was exactly the same as when I left the last time there and the time before and so it's just the, the things that change you know, it's it's an amazing place in terms of the actual event itself, I was pleasantly surprised. I felt it felt more intimate than it did at Noscony. People were certainly, you know, the the rooms I think were better laid out, just in terms of it wasn't such a, you know, getting to the hotel rooms was a long walk from your room. But like once you're actually there, it felt you could actually go from session to session in a much shorter period of time, unless you actually had to go over to the developer side. You know, that was still kind of everywhere in Las Vegas is a long walk. I um, you, you can't avoid that. Everywhere is a long you know far away from one another. But certainly you know where I spent most of my time over in the Venetian it was in, it, it much more inca- it, it engaging there was a real buzz a real energy in, in the air as people were run, wandering through the various sessions and I felt that and you know some of the conversations I had with customers you know it was it, they felt exactly the same way it was much yeah I, I it was nice to see people again I, I, r- regardless coming uh, you know it was so nice to see the colleagues that I've worked with over the years and, and customers that I've engaged with over the years as well. It was, it was just refreshing. It was, and maybe the whole experience will wear on me over the years, uh, you know, when it comes back to flying back into Las Vegas and leaving Las Vegas. But whilst I was there, it felt really nice just to be able to speak to human beings again and uh, it, it engage again. So I was always going to have rose-tinted glasses on the whole experience, but it was great.
0: Yeah, I love that too. And same thing. I I almost had a I have a euphoria. And I I actually funny. I I agree. I think Las Vegas helped that. And it's funny how before we go, everyone's like, "You go to Las Vegas? Oh, you know, gambling and drinking, yeah,
1: shows, yeah." But no. none of that. We didn't do any of that, did we,
0: Connor? <laughs> we did. But but the funny thing is that mindset or that environment I think, actually helped because when you're when you're walking around Vegas, even at night, you never felt unsafe because it's it's a community place. There's a lot of people out. You know, whatever. Now I'm sure. Some Las Vegas local will reach out to me on Twitter and say, oh, you should have gone to this street. And you would have been killed. But the reality is felt happy. It felt safe. There's, there's always that everyone has a bit of a buzz about them. But certainly, yeah, I had a euphoria just in, in the sense that I, I say Las Vegas helped because you could go to open world at Moscone and you had to actively seek out people to bump into. You, you wanted to, but the reality is they could have been three kilometers away, but still in the same building. Whereas in Las Vegas, I had dozens of people literally, you know, you're just walking along and I'm zoned out moaning the world because I'm jet lagged and someone, you know, gives you a little punch in the chest and goes, hey, yeah, it's so-and-so. And like, yeah, and so that was, that was great. The fact that
1: people punch you in the chest today, Connor, that's not the way they usually greet me. So, <laughs>
0: Well, normally normally it's in the face. So in the chest is normally a, <laughs> a term of endearment. So now obviously the biggest thing at Cloud World from our database perspective was talking about 23C, the upcoming release. I'll give you ninety seconds. What are the what are the core things coming in twenty three C? You know, there'll be plenty of chat about it in, in other forums, but in ninety seconds to put it under, under the pump, what, what do you think are the, the core things coming in twenty three C that'll
1: excite people? There is so many things inside of twenty three C. Ninety seconds isn't gonna be able to cut it, but I think it's the focus on the developer that's at the heart of uh, Oracle Database 23C. You now the code name app simple was where we've actually spent an awful lot of time and you know we've talked over the last hour or so about the features and functionality of the oracle database and i think what we're starting to see now is oracle refining some of we've got the opportunity to refine some of the features that we already have in the product and address some of try to make things simpler uh, for people who are looking to build applications or administer the resulting data sets that come from those applications and so uh, 23C is the focus of that. So, in terms of big show software features, you're going to hit and hear lots over the coming months around my um, focus on graph databases, you know, the ability to use a graph database as an operational data source inside of your systems and things like that, which customers haven't, at this point in time, haven't really had the opportunity to engage with. You know, so what was historically niche technology, I think we're trying to simplify and bring to the front again. And that'll be good for the whole industry as well. So you'll see the focus on technology like graph, JSON, it clearly was a really important story for us moving forward, but some really interesting features around the technology like JSON relational duality, the ability to actually, you know, allow your developers to work in a format they feel incredibly comfortable with, and allow your analysts and your data engineers to work on, you know, relational, and you don't care which one they're working on, you know, they can update the relational, they can update the relational, We introduced a whole raft of new, you know, locking technologies into the database. We introduced a whole raft of new improvements to SQL. You know, simple things. You know, it was interesting. You know, Las Vegas... When you actually discussing features that you had spent ages on and like, you know, spent a lot of time putting feedback into, and then the customer, I say, you know, my favorite feature is, you know, the select without a from clause in the Oracle database. And you look at them and go, but, 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 but <laughs> that's the difference with the release, right? All of us are going to have features that we think are important. And I certainly, you know, there's some of my favorite features like SQL firewall, great feature. In the same way that of, you know Privilege Analysis, all those versions ago was one of my favorite features related to security. It's, it's odd, I'm not a big security expert, but oddly enough, it's those sort of things that I think will have a dramatic impact on end users. And so SQL Firewall is a fantastic feature as well. So there were so many things that we, we can't wait to tell people about and demonstrate uh, over the coming uh, months. So yeah, I, in fact, I've seen your recent one on column three. Column Oh my lord! Help me out there, Connor.
0: Escrow locking. <laughs>
1: hey, well, we're not calling it escrow locking anymore. But oh, like, we changed uh, it as yeah. oh,
0: okay. Escrow locking originally, and I'm sure like there'll be some in in the old days. I, I always remember in a 10g beta, ages ago. It was undrop. You drop a table, it was going to be undrop. And by the time it came to life, it was flashback table to before drop. I'm like what the hell? Yeah, I know.
1: I, I'm just, welcome. You know, welcome to the world of product naming and. We, we spend as much time reviewing product names as I think we do implementing them, which clearly doesn't make a significant amount of difference. But yeah, there's so much in 23C. And even features we haven't talked about at the cloud will be coming through the various and it will be announcing over the next six months or so.
0: For the benefit of listeners who are absolutely lost when Dom and I are talking about this locking thing coming in 23C, by way of an example, Dom walks into a phone store buys a phone i walk into a phone store buy a phone both of us would create a row in a transaction table obviously no locking issues there both of us might want to update our customer record saying the number of phones or number of products we've bought has gone up by one no locking issues there but both of us in the same transaction might want to say the number of phones in the product table has gone up by one and now we're both competing for that same summary row saying the number of total phones bought has gone up by one 23c has some scenarios where you can allow in effect, conceptually, not implementation-wise, but in effect, two transactions or more than one, two transactions to have a lock on the same row at the same time. And we manage the concept of the fact that, you know, one might commit, one might roll back, et cetera. For me, I see that as a real game-changer because people have written so much complex code around that to solve that problem.
1: I know, so much complex. I I did as well, you know, in my early days. It was always that horrible situation where you'd go through and implement it, and it would all work as an application developer. You think, oh, that's fine. Not a problem. And then the first, you know, performance, you know, test happens and, you know, thinking, oh, this would be fine. And, like, instantly, like, vapor database halts after five seconds and nothing happens. And, like, you then spend ages and ages looking for ways to improve just that one area of functionality inside the system. And so... Yeah, how many thousands and thousands and thousands of lines have written to su- support that model, and are still been written to actually support it? You know, as we speak now, I'm sure there is someone who is like, you know, select for update. Oh no, and already has that sort this of, isn't going to work you know, doom like yeah, feeling that is <laughs> this isn't going to work. And um, so yeah, and these are the sort of things where the same thing happened with microservices. You know, we were introducing support for technological sagas directly inside of the database. Currently, you know, microservices have been written with thousands and thousands of lines of code to support the concept of manually rolling back transactions because you have to occasionally roll back a transaction, right? If you've got distributed transactions across multiple databases, uh, Oracle, again, we're looking to solve that problem directly in the database. And so it becomes very, very difficult. In terms of
0: complexity and microservices, it's a particular bugbear of mine to some degree, but maybe i just old school. Probably the best example is in, in terms of arguments perhaps against microservices, unless they're absolutely required, I think one merely needs to look at Twitter. Certain people high up in Twitter are saying, yes, we're going to turn off 80% of the microservices and see what happens. Jokes about Elon Musk aside, that does actually reveal that the more complexity you add, and microservices being a good example of that, it actually becomes harder to even know what your products are doing. And even harder to actually work out if they're not doing something what you want. And that's why I love the term app simple in terms of we talk about a converged database. I know we're making offerings for microservices because we have to provide offerings for what the customers are demanding. But do you see a place where do you think, do you think microservices will eventually, and, and this is me being biased, fall into what I call an equilibrium or sweet spot where people finally realize that there's probably one percent of the solutions out there require microservices. And Maybe 99% of applications out there pretty much are going to be fine on a monolith or something approaching a monolith. Yeah, monolith is said with this terrible derogatory term nowadays. Yeah, oh, it's a monolith. Oh, but the reality is, I would almost say that the vast majority of successful applications are built on monoliths, and and only ever need to go to microservices when they hit those limits.
1: Everything is uh, like a pendulum; it swings one way and then swings back the other. So, in answer to your question. I like the microservices architecture. I vaguely recall, and I'm sure it's just the way that your mind works. I vaguely recall like 20 years ago, I said to myself, do you know the problem we've got? Everyone is building everything that's too big. What we need is to build everything in small modular processes that we can actually test independently and have teams working. I'm fairly sure I invented the microservices architecture 25 years ago and just didn't tell anyone because it seems like a sensible approach. And I'm not here to like knock it at all and I I still think as you say there is a place for it there's certainly large-scale organizations with who are supporting billions of users worldwide and, and there is absolutely that use case and it's highlighted lots and lots of engineering processes that work really really well is it suitable for everyone no absolutely not but I think the pendulum is slowly moving back the other direction from everything has to be microservices to this balanced approach and I think that's where the sweet spot will be where people you hear this sort of like the the level of granularity is what all that we need to uh, agree on at this moment in time which is what is the right size for a service component and in many ways it will get to the stage where you'll base them around a data shared data model where you know whether you actually have orders and customers or banks and customers where those clearly should probably be grouped together into a service and there's Lots of really, I'm a big fan of Medium. I spent probably too much of my day, not on TikTok, but on Medium, scrolling through lots and lots of articles about different software development approaches, different architecture models, different database technologies. And that's what I spend my time doing. And, you know, there is definitely, I've picked up in the last few months, a discussion around, you know, wh- whether we've gone too far and, and the suitability of microservices. You hear from these small organizations that, have tried to mimic, you know, Netflix development process and are struggling and not just struggling failed. Um, and that's painful as a, if, if you're a small organization to, you know, realize that you've spent a lot of money, <laughs> thousands and thousands of hours to try and implement an architecture that you're struggling to support. And here's the thing about it though, tools will improve. We're introducing technologies that will make the building of microservices simpler to manage and model. But I think there has to be a realization, and I think it's coming that you know, one model doesn't suit everyone. And if you're a small organization or even a medium or large to medium organization, you will, you know, in many instances, you shouldn't regard a monolithic or a centralized development approach as the wrong one for all of your architectures. I think we all need to come up with a, a better software design paradigm. And I think we're getting there. And I, I'm I'm positive about the direction you know, software engineering inside of this area is, is is moving. It's the right model for the right architecture, and it's not all going to be microservices, but it's not all going to be monolithic either. There'll be a sweet spot that we'll arrive at, which I think will be the basis of engineering moving forward.
0: I suppose my cynicism comes from, I was a huge fan of, This used to be one of the sort of the landmark books, I think was came out decades ago, was the Pragmatic Programmer, fantastic book. And I remember like those whole chapters on on coupling and cohesion, which ultimately was saying, you should write your code as if it was microservice-based, but it had nothing to do with actually the tools and the frameworks you use. It's simply, it's a good idea to write modular code. And I always think, well, it's almost like microservices is an re- expression of giving up. They've said, we told your developers to write modular code. You didn't. So now we're going like, to introduce a framework that says it, it enforces it. You know.
1: Yeah. Again, I think modular code is, in some respects, it's like a lot of things. The ideas weren't supported by the tools. And so everyone rushes forward realizes they don't have the tools and right engineering processes in place and then has to step back a little bit. And then the tools catch up and the, that approach can move forward. And I think we're in that phase at this moment in time where the tools and the architectures are slowly catching up with the development processes that are in place. But I think there is absolutely the case to be said that push forward too far. And I think it's now become almost a cult rather than a a solution based on solid engineering principles. But there are much smarter people out there who are working on a daily basis, building code, under incredible pressures, who have much better views on this than I do. And, you know, I'm focused very much on data oriented issues. And I see the problems that come with microservice architectures from a data perspective, as opposed to necessarily the problems that, you know, microservices solve for the engineering of customer applications. So I'm open to each solution. I sound like I sound very much like United Nations in all of my responses.
0: <laughs> Microservices reminds me of Agile. And, and to try to explain what I mean by that is, I was a huge fan of Agile until it had the word trademark at the end of it. The term Agile, when you read the manifesto, was very much about you should apply some common sense when building your applications. And then all of a sudden it became Agile trademark, Agile methodology. I have a general rule, which is the moment something changes from ideas to methodology... It's irrevocably broken. Yeah. Because as you said, you, you then get the cultists who are like, No, no, you can't think forward. We have our little agile doctrine here, or whatever doctrine we have, doctrine doctrine of the day or doctrine du jour, which says, Thou shalt not do X. And no matter what X is, is a good idea. It's like, no, we can't do it because it's not in the it's not in the doctrine. So yes. Yeah, so- yeah.
1: If you've got a vested interest in any solution, that's gonna be something that you think is the only solution. and we're guilty of that as well, kind of inside of our organization. So Um, there's only one database that's the best (laughs) that's right (laughs) but it's not always the case but I'm still holding out for hope for microservices but in its current form I think it has lots of engineering challenges that people are discovering Um, and I think there'll be a step back a little bit and it'll be much more focused around building quality applications taking some of the benefits that microservices have and some of the benefits that monolithic approaches also have as well and and there'll be some happy ground that will arrive and that's always it's been the history of human development all, all along, you know, we push forward too fast and then pull back, and we end up with something that is usable and workable.
0: We've mentioned that microservices associated with complexity. And I also touched on this example of the concurrent locking that's coming in 23C. And I roughly explained what that would be for our listeners. To bring those two things together. When I first did a little video on this new locking facility coming in 23C, I did a demo where two sessions update the same row at the same time. And I put it out as a video saying, this is going to blow people's minds. And for some people, their minds were blown. A lot of other people came back saying, I see nothing impressive here. That's just how it works. You know, the moment one update has finished, the next update is allowed to go. Or other people said, no, no, because no latches were taken as part of the update, we can have these concurrent locks. And a lot of things, and I'm not trying to belittle or or make fun of people, but there's a lot of things that were just plain wrong. And the reason I want to bring that to complexity is in years gone by, you would call out developers and that saying, you know, I can't believe you don't know these fundamentals about the database. But the modern developer has 37 frameworks, 512 stacks. When you say build a program, what we need to you need to build is some HTML, some CSS, some React, some Node, some PL some, et cetera, et cetera. Do you think the the fact that a developer's life is so complex nowadays, that is there risk in the sense that? the fundamentals not just in database but the fundamentals across whatever stacks they're using is the malicious term as we call it the stack overflow based developer one that knows just enough from what they read on stack overflow but do you think that is a genuine risk to successful applications or is it just a real world
1: no I, I, I absolutely when i started, i had tendekin and, and richie and the c handbook and that's all i needed right and you know i look at my nephews and uh, children and who are heading into you know the software industry today and i, I unbelievable admiration to them just how you basically get through a day with the amount of information and skills that you need to know just to you know a full stack developer to me is just a how you keep up how you you literally turn up in the office in the day and feel comfortable that you know enough to actually achieve something is beyond me i mean i I try and keep my hand in as best I can. You know, writing utilities and just do I do do enough, and I, I I struggle. Perhaps I'm not spending enough time on it, but I consider myself to be fairly informed in terms of what's actually going on in the industry. And I I, I still struggle. So yeah, it, it's it's difficult. It's so 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 hard and. You know, it's a problem that we always uh, face. And, you know, I'm always grateful for the work that you and Chris and the others do around trying to keep people up to date on all of the problems they actually face. Because sometimes we just need to be reminded of the fundamentals. And it's, you know, all this fancy technology that we actually have. There's a set of basic axioms that we all need to know that you easily forget. It's so easy to forget all of the power that has to go into making some of the Things we just take for granted actually happen inside of databases. You know, the fact that you can undo a transaction seems like a trivial thing. Well, of course I can undo it. Really? Because it's really, really complex when you've got like a thousand other people also accessing your data. So, yeah, how admiration, I have fear, and also concern that the, those basic axioms that you know all software developers should understand are slowly being forgotten because we spent so much time learning them, painfully learning them through the development of uh, you know software. So yeah, I, 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 I understand where you're coming from.
0: I find myself defending developers on forums, whether it's Stack Overflow or our Oracle forums, et cetera, and Ask Tom because someone will always ask or make a claim that's, patently wrong and people just leap onto them no that's stupid no rtfm etc cetera, etc cetera. and i'm like no because the modern developer has so much going on their plate and even if they've mastered what they've got they walk into more they walk into day, and they go oh are you using framework x no no we stopped using that yesterday now we're using framework y yeah it's just like oh my god so i wouldn't want to be a modern developer
1: i mean there was that classic that classic cartoon of like a guy who went on holiday for two weeks and came back and his whole javascript frameworks world had changed like you know what no no i think that's disappeared like you're back to being a junior developer all over again yeah and this is you know it is somewhat ironically the che- the the rate of change is so fast so 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 fast and i look back on technologies you know the big data world and how we were all convinced that you know the was going to be the solution to all the world's problems and like you know, MapReduce was the only way to solve all of the problems. And so everyone rushed in to that camp. And now we're all coming back and say, actually, you know, that that wasn't a great place to be. And in fact, SQL is, you know, a much more comfortable place to be when it comes to solving these problems and the level of abstraction that you should be implementing. So, and that was only five years, six years ago, was it? I can't even remember. Maybe it was 10. But who, who knows? All of that stuff is largely forgotten and been replaced. And so, You still have to maintain it because it's still part of core operational systems in many places. But it's somewhat ironically is considered probably in many instances more legacy than any um, technology that's been around for 40, 50 years. So, yeah, it is horrific the rate that we're actually changing and and not really learning from the lessons that we actually had and, and learned painfully.
0: I am so thrilled you said that you made that example because literally on my little list of notes here, is an, an item, and I just put SQL as king. That was going to be I was talking about. This this, this is awesome. So in terms of the content, SQL is the language. Like you think of any other language, maybe C is probably the only other one that has stood the test of time, and, but unlike... And COBOL, <laughs> But un, unlike those two, which are, are seen as, well, there will always be that core people that, that write it, SQL seems to be growing and growing in popularity. In fact, the poster child for not using SQL, Mongo, their version 6 will have a SQL interface option. You've got to be thinking if Mongo are embracing SQL. Why do you think SQL is is the postage child? Why has it been so successful? Uh,
1: maths, right? Uh, I, I, I mean, it's the only reason I can basically... Maths, ultimately, is the is a, is a secret. It's, a, it's based on solid principles that, you know, both mathematically um, you know, correct, but it's easy. And um, more importantly, I think it makes sense. And I don't know whether... It comes down to tables in in some respects, right? I think people find it easier to visualize data as tables. And that comes from Excel spreadsheets. It comes from from separated files. People just understand when you put information into a table. And so I think when you actually have a language that deals on that basis, and and clearly there are other alternatives to SQL that deal on the relational model and, and SQL. But SQL, it grew slowly. It got refined slowly. It basically does as little or as much as you basically want you you can know a small amount and do an awful lot with SQL I think we tend to forget that like you only need a little bit of knowledge with SQL to do you know to build an empire and clearly you know the more you know the more powerful you can actually do it and the less things you actually need to do and the less associated code you need you may need to actually use but fundamentally it comes down to the basis that it just makes sense to so many people when they start using it. And I know it's, I mean, I've heard complaints from people they hate using it, but it's like one of those things that once you actually start immersing yourself in it, it becomes impossible to visualize yourself using anything else. And I'm, I use machine learning quite a lot. I use Python pandas uh, quite a lot, which is another classic example of tables. And when I use Python pandas, people aren't aware it's like a, a, effectively a a, a manipulation API for table-based information it's used extensively in Spark and data analytics and a whole raft of other areas as well but you know it comes down to the fact that even Pandas at its heart you know this Python-based API is embracing a whole raft of SQL-like operations and functions and features and when people you know on Stack Overflow ask questions about Pandas the first question is I can do this in SQL how do I do it? in pandas and then a lot of the responses are you should stick doing it in sql <laughs> and only bring it to pandas when you really need to you're right would i have said sql would have had the same longevity as like c when i first started using it no because you know it seemed like unnatural to me but i'm fairly sure in 100 years time if someone digs up this podcast they will still be using sql i, I can't see it going anywhere
0: i 100 agree i always find it interesting that and a topic I'm running out of time, but a topic we could talk about is I find it funny how people love SQL because it runs close to the data. You run it on the database server, and then you'll say to them, have you thought about using, say, SQL or any form of stored procedure or any kind of logic that runs close to the data? And they're like, oh, no, no, that's not that's not where logic belongs. Logic belongs in the app tier, but that's a topic that we could dive into uh, on another Oh, day. yeah,
1: that, that, that's, a, that's a big topic. Maybe we should bring old Bryn Llewellyn back uh, to actually that with us oh, as well. No,
0: these podcasts can't run into the days. We, we stick to the hours, but um,
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I will let you go. So I'll lead into finishing off. Normally, whenever I have a guest on, I ask them if you have one of those, if one, you have one piece of advice things, but given that you do have the most boring LinkedIn of all time, I will say, if you had to give someone who was just starting with the Oracle database, one piece of advice, a modern developer, just out of college, maybe they've learned a bit of oracle at university or maybe they've learned a bit of postgres or some other relational database but they're jumping into a project which it's works with oracle what's what's the advice you would give them what's the best way you think they could be successful both as a developer but also successful with the with the database they're using what what would you recommend the path they follow would be in that in that first 6 months
1: yeah read a lot and like learn from you know we talked about Dave Enser and Tom Kai and i think you know it, it's so easy to there's so many distractions for young people today and certainly, so young developers, you know, it's so easy to get enamored by the next shiny thing. But the truth of the matter is, come back to this whole, you know, quiet, giant type solution. Learn as much as you can, absorb as much as you can. Your podcasts uh, and your video YouTube channel, I think is fantastic. You know, and I'm not, don't want to blow smoke up your your backside, uh, Connor, but like, I still watch your videos because I'm, I, I, I believe I'm, you know, my ego is small enough. That I believe I can still learn something every day, and there is so much that I forget on a daily basis.
0: I love that term, "learn something every day." That's a that's a mantra of mine as well. But please continue. Sorry for interrupting.
1: Yeah, no, I was just going to say, but it's so it's it, the thing that we all tend to forget is how much we forget every day as well. And so the only way that you can actually learn anything, and the only advice I'll give them is, you know, push yourself, try something new, build something that may only be of interest to you but but do it anyway spend instead of half an hour on tiktok spend half an hour mucking around with the model clause or or or, or whatever you see appropriate but learn something that no one else knows and then teach everybody else that's the way that you actually progress and make an impact on the on on the community so yeah i i mean i i I wish i did have some good advice to starters but and from my experience, I, I work with a couple at the moment who are working with me. I think I learn more from them than than they learn from me. And so I think challenge yourself. It's
0: good that it's two-way, though. I have to wrap this up, Dom, but thank you very much for your time. Just for the listeners here, we could speak about so much. I, I had a whole list of things I was going to speak about. Uh, if you've ever heard of Dom's swing bench tool, probably the most successful Oracle database testing tool that's a stress testing tool that's ever been out there. Absolutely fantastic tool. We didn't even get close to that. Also Dom's budding professional tennis career. We didn't even get close to that either. Lots of <laughs> things to talk about. But thank you so much for your time. Yeah,
1: I'll be retiring from Oracle soon and going on the Pro Tour. You know. I'm fairly sure that's going to that's
0: happen. Right. I Connor. hope so. I hope so. Well, I have to admit, next next time I'm next time we're in the same continent, I'll have to pack a racket and we'll have a we'll have a bit of a swing. So
1: it will only go badly for me, uh,
0: Connor. <laughs> thank you very much for your time, Dom. My and pleasure. Thank you for your elements of wisdom and your 30 years plus of experience at Oracle. And hopefully, we'll see you at Oracle for another 30 plus years. You and I. Let's and s- let's hope
1: not. And Connor.
0: somewhere, somewhere, somehow, there is a Brussels sprout with our name on it. Thank you very much it, for your I time, Dom.
1: It. Take care. Thank you.
0: Thanks for listening to this podcast. The music credit goes to Zanman from Pixabay Music.